0: support for think Humanities is brought to you by the Spaulding University School of Creative and Professional Writing.
1: Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman.
2: Welcome to Think Humanities. What would happen if you took the posthumous voice of President Abraham Lincoln, transformed through the words and vision of the brilliant poet Morris Manning? Now add theater, music, art, film, and a variety of other voices. The final project might be titled Rail Splitter, The Performance. It is equal parts Manning. Tasha Fowler, Assistant Professor and Lucille Little Endowed Chair and Director of the Theater Program at Transylvania University, and a number of other student assistants and faculty at Transylvania University. Manning teaches at Transylvania and is the author of several collections of poetry. The Common Man was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. He teaches in the MFA program at Warren Wilson College. And writes for a number of publications, including Garden and Gun and The New Yorker. Welcome to you all. This will be a fun conversation, Morris and Tasha, and we have some others joining us, and I'll let you introduce them in just a moment. But let me just jump right in and and ask uh, Morris uh, about uh, Rail Splitter, or uh, dare I should say the the reincarnation, uh, if it's not too soon to call it that, of Rail Splitter, as we are discussing today. And then I'll also ask Tasha to uh, talk about uh, the the very first conversations and the vision that that you all had of what um, the public is going to be seeing hearing and and thinking of this particular version of rail splitter so Morris um, I would dare say that um, when you first wrote finished and published rail splitter did you have this vision of this new rail splitter?
3: Uh, Well, first of all, thank you, Bill, and the Kentucky Humanities for being interested in talking to us about this project. It's a great opportunity and and an honor to be part of this conversation. Um, I would say that um, in the early days of working on the book, which was... December 2016 through much of 2017. Um, In the early days, I began to get an inkling that there was some implicit connection to theater, Um, largely, you know, maybe kind of backing up from the end of Lincoln's life. He was killed in a theater. Uh, Ford's Theater in Washington D.C., where he was two weeks after the end of the Civil War, watching a farce um, with his wife Mary Todd and another couple, um, and the the play they were watching was was called My American Cousin, which features. Um, an American character who is cast as a complete backwoods bumpkin, who determines that he is uh, related to British aristocracy in some way, and travels to England to insert himself into uh, an upper class British family, and the the farce of that play revolves around just the awkward connection between the American cousin who's uncouth, uneducated, doesn't speak proper English, that sort of thing, um, and these very polished uh, English aristocrats. Um, And at sort of a high point in the comedic performance of that play, is when uh, John Wilkes Booth put a pistol behind Lincoln's ear and shot him. Um, And so the fact that Lincoln died in a theater with an audience, with a stage, uh, with a performance going on, um, resonated with me um, as a kind of... um, metaphor to interpret this chapter of american history and and to interpret lincoln himself as someone who at some stage in his early adulthood decided he would step onto the public stage as um, as a politician as a speaker on behalf of his community and sort of the the founding of civil society in on along the frontier Um, and that all of that registered with me as an an appropriate kind of um, allegory for our national history that that um like it or not at least one portion of our national heritage derives from this uncouth, barely civilized frontier reality. Um, And that's the, that's the world Lincoln came from and brought that world with him to Washington to walk the country through our greatest period of division and of course there's there's drama all over that history
2: so you had an inkling but not a firm idea that this could be more than a publication of of your poetry which many people would say Morris Manning's poetry in print and in verse uh, verbally is enough, but you had something else in mind.
3: At some point, um, you know, just consulting Lincoln's historical record, he memorized soliloquies from Shakespeare plays, for instance. He loved seeing theatrical performances. He, um, at some point in the middle of the Civil War, he writes to a leading Shakespeare actor of the day and weighs in on what he thinks is the greatest speech in Shakespeare. And he he points out in this letter from like 1862 or 63 uh, to this actor and says, well, I, I know most of you Shakespeareans like Um, to be or not to be as, as the greatest speech from Shakespeare. But in my own humble opinion, the better speech is, Oh, my offense is rank. um, Which is still a a well-known soliloquy, but, but not as well known as to be or not to be. And it just, it just struck me that in the middle of the civil war, Lincoln put aside his uh, concerns about that dire situation and allowed himself the time to think about, you know, what's what's the better Shakespeare speech? And in thinking about things like that, it it made me appreciate Lincoln all the more as, as someone who realized that literature, uh, and and in particular literature from an earlier era, could be a means to lead one's thoughts and actions through a present tragedy, Um, that there's something to the clarity of thought in a Shakespeare soliloquy, for instance, or, or just in in a, a, a literary work, there's, there's an attention to precision of the language an attention to metaphor as a means to get hold of a larger ambiguous set of circumstances that has the ability to hold those together in order for them to be seen and um, grasped, um, and I, I just I came away thinking um, Lincoln had a literary mind, and his mind was informed by literature, by the many poems he had committed to memory. For instance, uh, he, he uh, had committed uh, Thomas Gray's Elegy written in a country churchyard, which was a poem from 1750 or something like that. Um, uh, Lincoln had that that poem by memory, um, in addition to many poems by Robert Burns, who was his favorite poet. Um, and and the fact that Lincoln sort of had a mental book that he kept with him all the time uh, during his gravest uh, chapters as president um, and that he relied on that literary wellspring uh, as a means of inspiration and and as a means to clarify his own thinking um, about how to respond to very challenging circumstances. I, I, I've, Somehow, during the middle of writing the book, I, I kind of got hold of that reality, and um, it started me thinking how, um, even though so many poems have a personal dimension to them, um, the kind of poetry that Lincoln understood and and valued also had a very public. Dimension um, and and a common uh, or communal um, aspect to it, and that certainly shaped his his uh, leadership and his approach to being the president as someone representing us, the public, our common needs, our common good, our shared challenges and our shared aspirations and um he found he found i think some kind of uh, connection between his public leadership and the the literature that he understood and so it just began uh to dawn on me that um Consciously thinking about poetic composition, consciously thinking about eloquence, consciously thinking about, uh, say, the rude origins of one's literary interests and foundations, and how through effort and time those ambitions become more polished and sophisticated. Um, and and Lincoln's faith in that kind of intellectual and literary process, um, it just became clear to me that that kind of um, paradigm um, suits our national history suits our national character. Um, And so when it came time to think about um, maybe doing more with this, um, I I just almost on a whim contacted Tasha Fowler and, and, you know, without any firm Uh, conception in my mind, I said, you want to take a look at this and and see if there's something here that that we might make into a larger effort that would involve not just a single voice, but multiple voices. Um, And in so doing, I was aware that I was just Sort of passing the baton to to Tasha and and to Daniel Bennett, our technical director, um, and that's pretty much how things shook out. Uh, I I kind of dropped, dropped the book in Tasha's mailbox and and said, you know, here you go. i I'm, I'm I'll I'll be behind whatever whatever you want to do with this.
2: So Tasha, uh, why don't you pick it up and uh, talk about uh, uh, taking that uh, book out of the uh, your your faculty uh, uh, mailbox? Uh, Tasha is the director of theater at uh, Transylvania, and and also at the same time, if you would introduce uh, our other guest today. Uh, but first, your uh, reflections on uh, on looking at the book and and then beginning to to discuss with Morris or your, your, uh, with others, uh, your vision of what this could be.
1: Sure. Uh, and also again, thank you so much for having us here today. We're so excited to be here. Um, so yeah, so it was actually really, you know, it's, it, it's a very beautiful moment of normally getting mail or whatever in your mailbox and you get this beautiful book of poetry and a handwritten note from Morris saying, Hey, you know, perhaps we might want to work on this together. And uh, you know, theater is is a collaborative art. It's a collaborative art form, and it's one of my most favorite things about being a theater artist. And so, even before reading the book of poetry, just the just the thought of being able to take on a collaboration. With um, someone who's not in the theater program, but someone who's at Transy and and someone who has such a wonderful reputation for being a wonderful writer um, was super exciting to me. And being in Chicago, it's funny because I have friends who are poets in Chicago who know Morris or know of Morris. And I think one of my friends like ended up meeting him once. So there he has like this huge fan base that that goes beyond Kentucky. And so of course, like I had to call my friend and rub it in his face, that you know, Morrison left, left his book of poetry in my mailbox. <laughs> and so that was a really great moment for me um, personally. But anyway, so we, so I, I gave the book, I think I read it first and then gave it to Daniel. And then I think Daniel passed it to Missy Johnston, who was our costume coordinator and designer. And, we all loved it and we loved this idea. And so, you know, it was, we said, great, we can do this. And at the time we thought we were going to try to coordinate a performance with the Kentucky Humanities Festival, our book festival. And um, so that was kind of where we left it because we were in the middle of production for something else. And then it was right after that, that the pandemic hit. And we kind of put everything on hold. We didn't know what was happening, that kind of thing. And what became very clear in the theater world is that there's there's no precedent for this, and scripts are really difficult to get performance rights to to then create film. It, it, it's actually you know illegal. So when you get performance rights, it's illegal to record the performance unless you have special consideration, and then you're having to deal with. Um, SAG-AFTRA, you know, all these different unions. And so it became clear that what we thought was going to be our full season for now this year um, was not going to happen in the way that which we thought it would happen. And then it really hit me, oh my gosh, what a blessing that we have morris's book of poetry and we can take this in a whole different direction than a stage production as what we were thinking and really create something special and so that's when i got back on the phone with morris and said hey can we do this instead and he was super excited and supportive and and so that was so that was kind of the step one of this whole thing uh now then of course uh we had to ask well how are we going to do this because we can't do theater uh, in the traditional sense. And so uh, Daniel Bennett really stepped up to the plate and um, being our, our TD and set designer professor. And he said, I'll learn how to edit, <laughs> and, you know, and I said, oh my gosh, great. So he spent the summer teaching himself different, um, different, I guess, I don't even know techniques or whatever on how to, how to edit film and, and that kind of thing. And video, I guess it's video, right? Not film. Um, so that shows how much I know. So uh, so Daniel was able to do that and to really begin to figure out how we were going to technically put this together uh, as opposed to where I was figuring out how we were going to um, artistically put it together. Um, and so what we decided was we would put out um, a call to all of the Transy community. So students primarily, but also encouraging faculty, staff and alumni to participate. And everyone had access, uh, through the Transy library to the book. And so what, what anyone who wanted to participate basically, um, filled out a Google form where they said what they, how they wanted to participate and they could be an actor, they could be an artist, like a musician or, or a visual artist, um, they could be an editor, they could be a director where they conceptualized one of the poems. They, uh, you know, a camera person, it, it, the sky was the limit in terms of how they wanted to participate. And then, so the other person joining us today is um, Scotty and Scotty is a sophomore at Transy and Scotty proposed, and he was the only student to do this, uh, three different poems that they had uh, conceptualized. And, Scotty's conceptions were so specific and so beautiful. Um, and so I was super excited to be able to say yes to all three of them, hoping that Scotty then wasn't like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. And, you know, do my classes. Uh, but Scotty was um, amazing and was able to do all three. And so, um, so that's where, yeah, I think I just answered your question. Um, but that's kind of where we were Um I guess, at the beginning of the year, right before we started putting it all together and we learned a lot. And that's how uh, both Daniel Bennett and Scotty Guzler are involved mm-hmm. with the project.
2: Well, let me turn to uh, to Daniel and uh, ask him about his participation and then Scotty. Uh, but but Daniel, um, as someone, um, you, you had not had the, the training or I, I guess you've observed a lot of uh, video productions, but you didn't know the the technique or, um, and where I have to say, because I know this for a fact, uh, you have some excellent facilities at uh, Transylvania and some, uh, wonderful, uh, equipment. And, uh, so tell me about the, the process that, that you envisioned and how you took, uh, that vision, uh, to, um, the, the laptop and, and into the studio and, and what you saw.
4: Yeah. um, For me, one thing we also really kind of figured out early on was we there are Zoom performance aspects of this, but we did not necessarily want it to be just everyone log on to Zoom and read the poems. So there was going to be this almost cinematic quality to it. Therefore, there would be editing. Um, So for me, it just... I feel like I pick up software pretty pretty easily within technical theater. I, I have to use my computer to to draft the scenery, um, and in, in ways of just communicating with carpenters. So, kind of speaking the language of different software is uh, is something that I I can at least navigate to an extent. Uh, I will go ahead and say I'm definitely not the world's greatest editor. I've only begun my journey as a, a video editor, but I will say I have learned. How much i enjoy this process and part of the the cool thing about this is how can i take what we are learning right now through this pandemic way of doing theater and incorporate it into our live performance aspect so now instead of you know having video projections where we can go find something well why can't we as the transit community create our own content so those were kind of the things that that got me interested in just embarking on the the technical aspect Also, it just is within the nature of my position here to uh, really step up to the plate and take on kind of the technical aspects of things, uh, whether I know them or not. Uh, Part of the beauty of being a technical director is you've got to be a jack of all trades, but a master of none. So just knowing as many things that, that you can and also just knowing who to call to help you out. Those were things that I really was, was um, kind of embracing through this project. And another thing that I would like to highlight, yes, we, we have incredible facilities here. We, we utilized our podcasting studio here on campus to record. Uh, Morris playing the banjo. Uh, our president, Ryan Lewis, um, did a voiceover. Morris did a voiceover. We're, we used the technology at our, at our disposal, but I also had to think equitably for our students and how can a student who is potentially in Florida or Ohio, how can they have the same um, experience and be able to enjoy being a part of the Rail Splitter team uh, without having some sort of financial burden, uh, the equipment? So I also took it upon myself to find free resources for my students To uh, So I found a few free video editing softwares. I also tried to make it known to the students that you know, whatever you do, whatever you create, as long as you're proud of what you present and give, that's all that we can ask for. Uh, and so that's just kind of how I took this whole project. Um, a, learning things myself, working with students on, so with, with figuring out software. Uh, it's just been, it's been such a rewarding experience. And I, I'm
2: just so excited for everyone to see it. Scotty, what, what touched you about your introduction to the invitation to participate, but
5: but what touched you about Morris's work and his words? Well, in my introduction to the piece, it was sort of an introduction of this is sort of our new breaking off point as um, really a theater company at the university. And so it was my introduction to the piece was sort of this new beginning. Um, and so when I first read the piece, I was really comforted by themes of nostalgia and almost this warmth that we can get from the past and from learning about history really. Um, and in such a time where we have felt so unstable and so rocky with ourselves emotionally, um, artistically with work and at home, it was really nice to sort of as a team, as a group, as a company together, um, no matter where we were across the country or on campus, it was nice to sort of like reinvigorate our artistic um, selves and sort of jump into rail splitter together. So when it, when I was reading um, the poems by myself at home, I also felt like I was reading with everyone else in our theater community at transy.
2: Tasha, I want uh, you and um, all of you, but I want you and Morris to uh, tell us about uh, what, uh, as an audience member, um, we can see where we can see it, how it's presented, uh, how many pieces uh, are involved, um, that sort of thing. I want you to think about that response, but first we're going to take just a, a quick pause and hear from our uh, underwriter for Think Humanities Spalding University.
0: Spalding University's affordable, nationally distinguished low residency MFA in writing offers excellent instruction in a compassionate, supportive community. Focus on your own area of concentration, explore across genres, and examine the interrelatedness of the arts. During one on one independent study, you'll write prolifically and receive expert feedback from your faculty mentor, developing the discipline to keep writing for life, study fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and young adults, and writing for TV, screen and stage. Learn more at spalding.edu schoolofwriting school of writing or email school at spalding.edu.
2: Tasha Fowler, who is the director of uh, the Transylvania Theater Department uh, and an assistant professor, Morris Manning, uh, a wonderful poet, award-winning uh, poet of several uh, volumes, a um, also a professor at uh, Transylvania and uh, teaches in an MFA program at Warren Wilson College. And two of their colleagues, uh, Daniel and Scotty, enjoin, uh, join us today to talk about a a collaborative effort at Transylvania uh, titled Rail Splitter uh, from uh, the book, uh, the collection of um, of voices that Morris has uh, put together uh, from uh, Abraham Lincoln. uh, And uh, we we almost uh, could, of course, we we should, uh, Morris, do uh, an entirely separate uh, program on your poetry alone. But uh, this gives us an opportunity to uh, explore along with you, uh, Tasha, this uh, wonderful, as I said, collaboration uh, between uh, many different uh, forms of art uh, and uh, the spoken word and your vision. Uh, tell us about what you, if you can describe it for us in in an audio version, what the audience will see um, and, and how they can see it.
1: Sure. Um first, I want to just piggyback off of something more said uh, earlier in the podcast uh, when he was talking about his how to his inspiration for what he was going to write for this book of poetry. And he said how to respond or one of the small tidbits was how to respond to challenging circumstances. And that was exactly how I felt about the artistic approach to Rail Splitter, and something that um, when we all, once we gathered our, our collaborative group of artists to work on this, that was the challenge that I gave to them. Um, you know, taking, taking a work of literature and using it to, to make sense of the present. And uh, so I invited everyone, although this is a book of poetry that is specifically written in the posthumous voice of Abraham Lincoln, I invited everyone who collaborated on this to not not think about um, uh, creating pieces where every single piece we saw or heard was like someone trying to be Abraham Lincoln. But more it was the question of how does Lincoln's mythology live within all of us during our present day circumstances, and there's so much to draw off of. Um, we're living through unprecedented times with this pandemic. If you're if you're an artist, specifically theater person, you've watched your art kind of die in front of you, and uh, and then of course we have all you know we're we've, we're not even really through our election. So there's been a lot a lot of happening. Um, Black Lives Matter movement uh, that's been going strong. You know, there's been so many things that have been happening, hurricanes. I mean, you know, you name it, it's been right here. And it's hard when you are used to being able to gather as a community theater is a communal experience and you go to that you know you go to you go into that theater as you would a church and you 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 say i'm going to have this beautiful communal experience with these other people we've all kind of like made this contract together and that was taken away from us from the pandemic and so the question became how do we create this communal experience and how do we create healing How do we promote joy and how do we, how do we help each other make sense of this? Not even uh, the, the times that we're living through, not even from an intellectual point, but from an emotional standpoint. And so this was all part of like trying to shepherd everyone's artistic view in in, in in a specific direction. Um, so in terms of that, so we had over 60 people, um, uh, apply to be a part of the project, and so I, I believe we have over, um, we have thirty-one pieces. We had over ten directors, over ten editors, and then over fifty actors participate. Uh, we also, and then we also had people doing props, costumes, um, and then Daniel, Missy, and I, we did everything from really trying to help. You know, I was mentoring directors and Missy was doing props and costumes, but she also directed a piece as well and was mentoring different people. Daniel was mentoring, uh, mentoring all of the editors and teaching them how to use equipment. Plus he was um, uh, plus he, he directed a few, he created a few of his own. So there's, it's a real eclectic thing. And we have, We have students who are first year students um, who have barely haven't done any theater um, and has never done any film who you're going to see act or you're going to see their editing skills. And then we have the president of the university, Brian Lewis, who is uh, he will call himself an amateur actor, but he's he has quite a bit of uh, acting experience doing this beautiful voiceover. Uh, You're going to see some uh, faculty members who are wonderful musicians, but that's not their field at at Transy, uh, creating these beautiful songs. Um, You're going to see a student, a first year student who is a came to us and has a passion for scenic painting. uh, And she she thought that that's what she was going to do was like create a painting and a mural in response to some of the work. And instead, she did this beautiful solo piece performance on her Native American history based off of the poem Madstone Alexander's, which um, is was composed to a song from an alumni. So you're going to see... We also have uh, had a couple of uh, friends, guest artists from Transy of a lawyer who directed multiple pieces. And she she was able to get volunteers from professional camera people and professional editors. So you're going to see everything from someone who has never, ever, ever done this before to someone who does this as their profession. And that's what's so exciting about it. Uh, so there's a total of 31 pieces. The, uh, the show, if you will, will last one hour long. We're going to put uh, an intermission in there for five minutes, knowing that you can still pause this if you needed to. But we're, we want to keep something that feels like the ritual of theater. And so we I said, let's do an intermission. And so I think uh, I'm not sure. Daniel, are you going to have is it Morse playing the banjo? Is that the intermission music?
4: Yes, I've, uh, our intermission, if you choose to sit through the intermission, you will be entertained. Uh, (laughs) there's a really neat concept that was kind of brought up really early in the process of thinking about all of these poems, um, that Morris and I had a little fun with one day a couple weeks ago.
2: Well, that's something to look forward to in itself. And Tasha, when, um, when will uh, is the final product uh, finished uh, when will they be posted and and where sure
1: so <laughs> we're going to do a rough draft viewing today at 2:30 and <laughs> and then the final the final production will be will stream we're we're saying it's a live stream it's not actually live stream it's all filmed but we're all going to try to view it together the cast and the crew on uh, November 20th, so it'll be released on YouTube at 7.30, and you can visit uh, www.transy.edu backslash railsplitter. Again, that's www.transy.edu backslash railsplitter, and on that page, you can access the Transylvania University uh, YouTube main page, and that's where you can view it, there'll be closed captioning available and we will be interacting in the YouTube comment feature uh, in real time for that hour. So you can, if if you want to view in right then, you can do that. You can interact with the cast and the crew. Uh, We're going to try to make it as much of a communal, again, communal experience that we can. And then if you cannot make that Friday, uh, it will be available on YouTube through that same transi site uh, at least running through uh, january two thousand twenty
2: one well that 's wonderful, and I know um, that uh, people who participated i mean that 's always exciting uh, when you 've been in, in uh, a part of a, a project like this will look forward to it as well as the uh, the general public uh, and supporters of uh, of the work that you 've been doing and Let me return finally uh, uh, to Morris and uh, ask the the artiste. Uh, if he is uh, pleased with the final outcome, or maybe you'll have to wait until uh, uh, this afternoon when you see the see the product. But you you've seen enough of it, I know. But but Mars, is this has the vision uh, come full circle? Is it is it something that that you are are going to to be very pleased about?
3: Um, absolutely. But let me just say that um, at this point, it's not my vision. It is a vision we have discovered together, all of us working on this. One of the great things that I think Tasha and Daniel and Missy have spearheaded uh, and led us through is uh, nobody sat down back in the summer and said, okay, let's do this and it it will be this. It will look like this. Nobody had a predefined notion and we did not work that way at all. And instead, um, the process was to turn this over largely to students who, as Tasha just said, come to this with varying levels of experience um, and Somewhere in the process, I think we implicitly agreed that we shall trust our collective wisdom and that that wisdom will emerge from the process. Um, and it's something we we share and it's something to share uh, as any theatrical, any conventional theatrical uh performance is. Um, and so I think we've we have followed a process that is organic, inclusive, collaborative, widely ranging, um, utilizing as many different art forms as possible. Um, Relying on, uh, you know, invention and and um, seat of the pants intuition, um, and I, I think, especially now, as as Tasha was saying earlier, you know, for so many people who who have uh, a stake in the artistic world, the last few months have been pretty destabilizing. Um, And then for many of us as human beings, the last few months and few years have been rather destabilizing. And so many of us are, you know, in a position of of, um, feeling anxiety and uncertainty. But to me, this is the kind of project that transcends all of that and and we come together to trust um, our collective good intentions our collective um, creativity and and it, it just teaches us that there's there's something beyond what any of us as individuals can do and um, that's that's worth sharing in our moment and it's worth, um reestablishing that collective common good and common spirit um, as as we have no other choice but to go forward
2: Well spoken um, like the true humanitarian that you are um could not have been said better i I'm looking forward to it you've um you're giving uh life to uh, a very important work. Uh, I think you probably already realize that, but from an outsider and someone who's anxious to see the final product, uh, this is something I hope that can be shared uh, uh, through a a much wider audience. Uh, We will do our part at Kentucky Humanities, and um, I think there's a good possibility that maybe somebody at at NEH or uh, in other pla- uh, the National Endowment uh, should, should also take a look at it. This, is, this sounds like to me a, a monumental um, a piece that needs uh, many eyes. So uh, good luck to all of you, uh, Morris and Daniel and Tasha and Scotty. Uh, thanks uh, so much for your time today. And we will look forward to having this podcast up and then, and then seeing the production. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you.
1: Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky stories for 48 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.